0: Thanks everyone, have a seat, it's been a full morning already, prayers and covenants and singing and crying and, no thanks Joseph, <laughs> uh, thanks Antonio, appreciate it. Uh, I'm, I'm always so grateful and I, and I think, you know, I would say, I take it for granted sometimes that we're singing and learning and it's like, oh this is what we do and it's not just what we do, it's what we get to do. And the commitment to be here, I know, it's hard. And I know, as uh, as Pastor Michael mentioned, you know, as we head towards kind of just the busyness of of Advent and all that that time, just that we would prioritize just being together and reminding our kids. Thanks, bro. Reminding our kids of how important this is. But I want to say something, just almost like as an apology, because this happens sometimes. Like, if you're here for the first time, and if you're like maybe visiting, or you know, not sure about church, or Christians, maybe you think of church and Christians, and you're like, those are weird religious people, like we know some of them are here. Okay, uh, <laughs> I, I just want to say that we are actually at the end of a teaching series that we've been in for a while. And it's like, if you just get here right now, it's like almost like watching Netflix, like in season three of a show. You know, you're like, yeah, I'm kind of in the middle. I don't know any of these characters. So I'm going to do my best to kind of get you caught up. And I want to tell you by, by just this idea, I, I heard of a joke and it's a joke of, a, of an older couple. And they were testing out one of their new cars. I don't know if you, older couples who love driving and, you know, they're love. They got a, you know, a convertible. You ever see older people in a convertible? They're like so fresh. I Have a picture. I don't know. I think of older people. I don't know what you think of. I think of this. Like just, this people in love. And they're driving and the wife says, I want to drive tonight. And, and the husband's like, sure, honey, just take the car. And, and they're speeding on the highway and the cops see them and the cops pull them over. And the cops pull them over and they say, hey, really sorry to have to do this uh, but do you know that you were like speeding and the ladies in the she's like of course i knew officer that i was speeding the officer's like well do you know that you're gonna have to get a ticket for speeding she's like i understand but you don't understand something officer that when you're old you gotta speed to where you're going before you forget where you're going (laughs) and i said that's true amen. they still got a ticket okay (laughs) But, but I feel sometimes when I'm teaching up here that I feel that I, I want to rush to somewhere because some of you have already forgotten where we've been and where we're going. And I often think like that sometimes it's important to, to think about a series when we're teaching up here. I think of this, Pastor Michael, when we're teaching. We see the whole series almost in a dance because we know where we're headed. But if you've just landed now here, it could be like, oh, where are we? What is this book? What, what is the Bible? I don't have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you a Bible. If you're watching online, or if you've missed any of the teaching in the series, you know that they're available on YouTube. And you can go watch them and maybe say, I want to go through the series, and I want to read through the letter to the First Corinthians. And so we've been actually learning what it means to follow a church in the Bible that is a disaster. This church is one of the most problematic, conflict-filled, messy churches you could ever imagine. Like even when you maybe think of a church in your mind, and you have a problem with this church, that church, any church, right? The church in Corinth gets the trophy for being the worst church. They have so many issues, and in this letter, we listen to what it's like for Paul to write and for God to speak and to say to this church, Hey, I've never made you for this. I made you for something greater than this. And you need to learn to get along and to grow and to listen and to pray. And so if you've been with us, you kind of have seen how we've kind of been kind of going through this letter and kind of learning it together. Some of us may be ashamed and thinking like, we still have those problems today. We're like, yep, hundreds of years later, we're still kind of working it out. But we're actually at the end of the series. We're at the end of the series, and I want to just kind of just wrap up the series by talking about a very difficult topic in just a few minutes. We're actually going to talk about the topic of death in a few minutes. And we have to talk about it because Paul brings up life and death right at the end of this letter. And I I was kind of torn. I'm like, we're doing child dedication and children are about life. I'm like, are we really going to talk about death? I'm like, oh, it's going to be hard. And then I realized something so important. One of the greatest gifts we give to our kids is teaching them how to think about death in a godly way, in a biblical way, in a different way than how the world talks about death. And so maybe this is a great theme for us to end this series on. Now, throughout this letter, Paul has been saying some things that probably would have offended the church who heard this letter. I think about this all the time. Like I don't know anybody, I've never met anybody who, who likes being told, get your life together. Do you know anybody who likes that? Do you like anybody who, who has to be told, hey, you know what, I noticed that, and if you do it again, we're going to have problems. You know, Nobody. None of us like that. And it's not even because children, your child, even adults. We never know what to deal with, like how to deal with someone saying something we don't want to hear that sometimes we know is so true. But we just don't want anybody to tell us that we like, mind your own business. And so much of this letter is Paul saying things to the church that would have come across a little bit offensive. At one point, this is what he says to them about many of the themes that he's talking about. He says this, when I was a child, he said, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. I mean, he's been setting this up with them to say, you know, many of you, as you deal with some of the issues in your life, you're still acting like children. And by now you should have set aside those childish ways and be more mature. You know, I think about my life, and I have examples in my life where I think about, like, I acted really childish in that situation. Or I stopped, you know, I stopped trusting God in this situation. I, I responded out of, out of the flesh, which means out of my human desires, what I wanted, and it was the wrong thing. As a pastor, I've seen marriages destroyed, businesses destroyed, co-workers and friends, lives ruined, because people acted in ways that they're like, it's so inappropriate, I can't believe. And, and often people will say stuff to me like, hey, I got into this fight and I said this to the person. I'm like, you said that to them like that? Yeah. Like, okay. It's, it's gonna be, like in that tone? Yeah. No, I just texted it. I'm like, oh, even better. That's great. Text is wonderful for that stuff. And Paul's saying to the Christians in Corinth, I think he's saying this to us, that many of the things that he's, that many of the things that he's been dealing with, and if you remember, these chapters in, in 1 Corinthians, at, at least probably right in the middle of the book, chapters 6 and 7. If you, if you go back and read it, remember this. Right in the middle of this letter, Paul is going to start to deal with some very difficult things. He's going to start dealing with Christians who are going to court with one another, like lawsuits. We love that. He's going to talk about sexuality and intimacy and inappropriate relationships in the home. And he's going to be dealing with all these things. And he's like, as I talk about these things, you need to be so mature to listen to how to handle these things. And maturity, by the way, is not a magic pill. You don't wake up and become mature. Maturity is formed in us over time. It's a commitment to grow and to learn and to think in a new way. Because Paul uses this language that we now have the mind of Christ Meaning we see things through a different perspective. And I find it shocking that so many people, they they hope that they'll be mature in a difficult situation, but they never took the time to really grow and pray and learn so that when a difficult situation came up, they were ready for that. Instead, it's like it just happened, and now it's like, I don't know. Overreact. Respond in a way that dishonors God and dishonors people. So Paul's been saying, hey, we're at the end of this letter now. We're getting to the end. And before I tell you the most difficult thing we have to talk about, I want to remind you again that I've been encouraging you to pay attention to how easy it is to just remain a child, to be childish. There's a big difference between being childlike and being childish. Okay? We're called to be childlike in wonder, in trust, in hope, but we're not called to be childish, which is immature and irresponsible. Nobody just feels their way without attention to spiritual maturity you don't become spiritually mature by just waking up one day and hope it happens the same way like you don't get healthy by just getting up and you know learning about working out you actually work out you actually do something it's the same things and paul now is going to move the attention of this church to this more difficult conversation about life and death and what happens when we die this is like such a heavy topic You know, I was reading and preparing this week and I thought two things. One is I wish I had like a whole five weeks just on these chapters because they're so big. And two, I I said this to my wife the other day. I said, this part of the sermon that I want to talk about next, like the second part of the sermon, I feel is the kind of sermon that I want to be preached at my funeral. I don't know if you think about when you die, what you want people to say when you die, what you hope they remember about you. And if you're like me, I hope they just remember the good things. But there are no bad things, but I'm just saying. And I kept thinking, you know, I I said to my wife, I think she said, oh, good, so I don't have to say anything. Like, play this part of my sermon on a loop and just turn it up if people are talking. Just do whatever Dom said in this sermon he preached. And maybe for you, you have so many questions about that. But one of the things that Paul says as he begins to kind of help, help the church think about this, he's going to talk about life and death by shaping something important that has been part of the whole letter and I want to tell you about it and it has to do about seeing yourself as belonging to a people of God that God is healing and making whole like that's what this is about and he does this by reminding them that now they belong to a new family and because they belong to a new family the power of God is alive in them in this way and I want to set this up for you before I read to you what he's going to say next about death and what happens when we die? Because let me tell you, I know and you know that all of us at some point will be with somebody or will experience the pain, the grief of seeing someone we love pass away. This is like a universal thing. You can say it in any language you want. It's like love. We have to think about it. And at one point in the letter, Paul he has been saying this and he's going to say it again. And he said, you have to understand the idea of what it means to belong to Christ before you understand what I'm going to tell, say to you at the end. And so can I just like take a minute and explain two different views of belonging that we all assume in our culture? Okay? And they're part of the letter. You've seen Paul. He's going to use it again in a few minutes, and I'll read it. Right? And, and if you're taking notes or you're in a home group, there's a chance to talk about this, that the world has a certain definition of what it means to belong. Okay? The world has a certain definition, and we live with this definition every day. The world's definition of belonging is, I feel accepted there, or I approve of what people do there. Or I can associate with these kind of people because they're like me. This is the world's definition of how belonging works. We all know this because many of us sometimes start to believe this just that category. Now, some of that's true. It's very hard to be with people that you just don't like, right? Like it's very hard to be like, I disagree with everything here, but I'm just going to pretend that I belong. You can't really do that. But the world's view of belonging is that if I belong somewhere, I have to agree with everything that people say here. And the world's view of belonging is that I want to belong somewhere where I can stay the way I am. So important. So much of what the Bible invites us to understand about belonging is that when we belong the way Paul is calling us to belong, we have to be willing to become someone different. And nobody wants that. Nobody wants that view of belonging, and actually the Bible, and especially in this letter, the the whole idea of belonging that Paul has been sharing is that, one, you have to remember that God has placed you in this very unique family. And if you remember part of what Pastor Michael shared last week, which is great, because you belong in this family, you are a part of a body. You belong here. And you can't say, I don't like the ear, or I don't like the foot, or I don't like the head. I don't like these people here. I don't want to be here. I I don't want to belong here. If I could pick where I belong, everybody would be a foot. Everybody would be a hand. Everybody would be like me. That's what's so crazy about this. That Paul knows that when people gather together to belong to one another, they were always with people that are so different than them. And people in the world are like, why do you guys hang out with them? Like, they're so weird. Do you know them? Has this ever happened to you? You meet somebody and they're like, I know them. They go to our church. Oh, about them. It's like so weird. It's like, ah, yeah, they, they hurt me or I don't like them or they just pretend to be into God but they don't like God. All these things. It's so confusing that we would still continue to belong when we know we're so broken. Because what's the other option? Just leave. Just move on and find somewhere else where you feel safe and it just works and it, you approve and you agree. But that's not what the church is like. Paul's like, you need to be mature and understand that there's a kind of belonging that God calls you to and it's a belonging that will require you to want to become like Jesus. And let me tell you, that whenever you start to feel that rub of belonging, and ever start to feel like, "Uh, this is kind of harder than I thought, everyone in this room, listening online, if you watch this video when I die, or whatever, whenever you watch this, you will feel the human temptation to walk away, and find a place that's just like you, where everybody gossips just like you, where everybody acts just like you, that's not the church. That's not this community. That's why they require the supernatural work of God to keep us here to say we are committed to belong, even when we don't understand, even when we're not sure we approve of that and we're working that out. Even when, you know, I don't feel like I always belong. You know where I feel where I don't feel I always belong? In my marriage. Imagine if I was like, I don't feel like I really belong here. You know, I don't feel like. My, 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 I'm the center of the story anymore. You have kids. Well, let me tell you. You have kids. You, you, like, you forget yourself for 27 years. Some of you are like, we couldn't wait to have kids. Now we went to church and we're going to stay single. Anyway, whatever. You get used to it really fast. that You feel like you're not always going to feel like you belong, but it's the right place to be because it's there that Jesus is like, this is great, you're learning that you're not the center of this story. I am. Not me, but Jesus. Right? Like, Jesus, I'm the center of all of this. So you learn to belong here. And you learn to surrender that I'm going to make you someone new. And then you learn what it means to love someone who's different than you. Has a different culture and a different language and a different way that they sing and a different way that they worship and a different way that they understand the Bible and stay there. Stay there because everything in you is like, I can't wait to find someone who's likes the songs I like, well, welcome to a different way of understanding belonging. You have to know this because every day I'm telling you we will always be forced to believe that belonging is to just always feel like things work and we like it there. And when you don't like it, just move on. Paul's like, you have to kind of feel that before you understand the thing I want to talk to you about last. Now this question about life and death, if you remember, is Paul in a sense answering questions that people in this church had they probably asked them about life and death. They asked them, hey, we're like wondering about what happens when those that we love, when they're gone? Like, what what happens? And let me tell you that the Bible does not answer every single question we have about that. It just doesn't. Some of it requires a humility to be like, we don't know, God has not revealed that. And some we do have a sense and we understand. But this is near the end of the last few chapters, chapter 15, 16 of 1 Corinthians, It all kind of comes together here. This is what Paul's going to say. But tell me this. Ready for this? Since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? Stick a minute and think about this. Paul's like, wait a second. I'm hearing from some people that you don't believe anymore or seem to understand that to be a follower of Jesus is to believe that death does not get the final word about who we are. Remember, this is happening at my funeral, by the way. Death does not get the final word about who I am and those who belong to this family. Death does not. And Paul says, this is what we preach. This is one of the most essential things that we preach about who Jesus is. You know, I've been to churches my whole life and I meet people all the time and they'll ask me this. Oh, does this church preach the gospel? Does this church preach the gospel? I went to the gospel and people say yes and you'll never hear a sermon on the resurrection at that church, for the history of the church. The gospel is about like sin. It's about the cross. It's about, and Paul's like, no, no. Yeah, we preach those things so that you would understand the resurrection. Pretty much this is the sermon that you would hear maybe at Easter time if you make it to church and then see you in a year. And Paul's like, whoa, let's slow everything down right now. You have to understand how important it is that what we preached to you, the good news, which is the gospel of Jesus, is that Jesus died and that he was raised to life. And that some of you maybe, I hear, I could be wrong, just like how Paul says this like, tell me this. It's almost like sarcastic and fresh at the same time. Can someone tell me this? How did this happen? I feel this sometimes, by the way. And I just be honest, as a pastor, I hear, I hear some people say stuff at our church, and I'm like, can you tell me how you got that idea after being at our church for five years? Is that too, too hard? To it's child dedication, you have to be careful. I, I, it shocks me. Like I hear people say stuff, or I see people post stuff, and I'm like, this is unacceptable for someone who sat under biblical teaching in this community to speak this way. I hear Paul saying, can you tell me how this happened? Can you tell me how you claim to be those who've heard me preach that Jesus died and was raised to life? And some of you, why are some of you saying there'll be no resurrection of the dead? Which means, why are some of you saying that when people die, they just die? That's it. It's over. Why are you saying this? What don't you understand? What did you miss about what I told you? So I want to take the next few minutes to walk you through why this is so important, to understand why this is at the heart of the Christian story. You know what Paul says in this chapter 15, and if you read it, you know this? He says, if this is not true, if Jesus did not raise from the dead, if Easter is not real, right? Everything about Christianity is a joke. And all of you are idiots for believing it. That's my translation, by the way. But it's the, it's, the vibe is there. Like, this is all useless, This is ridiculous. If Jesus is not alive, what are you doing here? What are we all doing here? He says, you have to understand. Maybe some of you are confused. So I want to just begin by helping you understand this. That Paul knows, maybe we don't know, that there's many people in the Bible times who didn't believe the miraculous truth that Jesus had died and three days later, he was raised to life. This is not like a scientific problem. You know what I mean? I mean a lot of people, young people, whether I'm on a university campus or speaking somewhere, and they're like, oh, the world is new today, we have technology, we have the internet, we have these things, so we don't believe the Bible. And I'm like, I kind of get that. The world is changing, right? It's harder. But people already in the Bible didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't have the internet or anything we have. They're already like, this doesn't make any sense. Actually, there's a group that Jesus speaks to at one point. They're called the Sadducees, and this is what they say to Jesus at one point. Then Jesus was approached by some Sadducees, religious leaders, who say there is no resurrection from the dead. And they posed this question to Jesus. When Jesus is around, people are saying, listen, we don't believe that people who die come back. Like, it's ridiculous. Who believes that? Maybe you're here this morning, and you can see, like, I like Christianity, I like the teachings of Jesus, but, like, if I'm at a funeral, I think when people are gone, they're just gone. I'm done there. This week, as I'm preparing, I thought about the people in our church who've lost loved ones this year. The people in our church who think of saying goodbye to someone they love and the grief of that and the pain of that and how important it is to understand what Paul is going to say here. I, I don't know if this happens because of algorithms, but when I, I was preparing this week, in my news feed, I got an update from like, a news story of someone passing away in Quebec. Like I just, I just grabbed the clip so you could see it. This is the clip from the news. I got this week. Heaven gained a beautiful angel. Quebec woman battling cancer. She passes away. I saw this. I'm like, every day, every day, people are faced with pain, suffering, and death. And at the same time, we pick up all these ideas about death from the culture. Like, I read this and I'm thinking, so people believe when you die, you become an angel? Do you believe that? is, Is that true? And as we talk about this, is if you think about it. If somebody asked you, what do you believe happens when you die? You'd be like, that's a good question. Like, I'm not sure. I was once at a funeral. Like, I've been to a lot of funerals. But I was once at a funeral where the family brought butterflies. Person died and they released them. They're like, okay, the person we love is in the butterflies and they're in the sky and they're going to come see us whenever they want to say hi. I was like, wow. That's not the moment you say, let's do a Bible study right now. Let's, uh, <laughs> I-, I thought about it, but I was like, not the right time. And it's true, right? There's so much about this topic that when you need to understand it, you're grieving and you, won't, you don't have time to think about it. That's why you have to think about it before. You have to learn about it before. You have to say, God, shape our mind to understand that the Bible teaches us to have a certain particular way of understanding what we believe about saying goodbye to someone that we love and what it means that because they belong to you, they will be with you again. What does that mean? is so important. So take a minute in your own mind and think about the person in your life or someone that you know that maybe introduced you to think about what happens when somebody passes away. Isn't it hard to never think about this? So challenging. I know so many people over the years that won't even go to a funeral home when somebody passes away because they don't want to be confronted with the fact that one day they're going to die. No, 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 let's not talk about that. positivity, positivity. Paul's like, no, no, let's, let's talk about this so we can correct what's happening. We can correct what it means that Jesus was dead and now he's alive. So one of the things I'm going to tell you right as we begin is that Paul's going to tell you that he knows that when Jesus was raised from the dead, he did not just go to heaven. He didn't just die, come back and say, bye, got to go. He actually started to see certain people. This is so crazy. You might be like, I don't know, believe that. This is what he says. I pass on to you what was most important for you to understand about this, that what had also been passed on to me, meaning people told Paul this. Christ died for our sins just as the Scriptures said. He was buried and was raised from the dead on the third day just as the Scriptures said. Now, some of you I know, you're like, okay, Dom, it's already hard enough. My brain is starting to shut down, and you're feeling the temptation to pick up your phone. I'll be like, uh, just, so just stay with me. Paul's like, what I want to tell you is not like this new idea, but in the scriptures, in the writings of the Jewish people, in the Old Testament, there were already hints of God doing this one day. That God would begin to do something that would be confusing and beautiful and a mystery and an invitation to believe that life is not over when we die. To believe that. And what's important is if you're taking notes, you want to write this down because you want to think carefully about this, is that when Paul says that Christ died for our sins just as the scripture said, he's not talking about the New Testament. Because the New Testament does not exist yet. He's talking about the Old Testament. He's saying there's passages already in the writings of Israel that would have maybe helped you to connect the dots for this. And I'm going to go to the next slide just so you can see one. And it's a psalm. It's a prayer. It's a beautiful prayer. I've read this prayer at many funerals for people. You can go to the next slide just so you can see this. This is what Paul says. This is the psalm that maybe captures this. This is someone praying and believing that in pain and suffering and grief, it's not the end yet. It says this. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. Nor will you let your faithful one see decay. This is one of the prayers that some of the people kind of were aware of. They prayed this. They remembered it. And Paul's like, you know, the scriptures, the ones that we have, they they were hinting at this. They were pointing that there was going to be hope for us that is beyond the way the world wants to crush that hope in us. That when we say goodbye to someone, they're gone. For years, I've been with families who say goodbye to someone that they love and the most painful moment is when the casket either goes down or when the people come you know, and they put the big, the big piece, the big marble slab on and, and they get the caulking and they just start to seal it. And you're like, oh my, God. like something in me is, wants to yell that this is not the way it should be. Paul's like, I, I know. You know that feeling that you have? That's what I want to tell you about. It's that sense that you know that because God raised Jesus from the dead, that death does not get the final word here. It might feel that way. It might even feel sad and we're broken and we're, we have all kinds of questions. But Paul's like, when you're in that moment of grief, you won't think about this. So let's think about it in advance. Let's think about what it means that Paul is inviting us to be like, okay, wait a second. So the Jewish people were already praying this and thinking about this. But he's like, maybe that's not enough for you. Maybe, maybe that's not enough. So he goes, let me tell you this. This is what happened next. When Jesus was raised, he was seen by Peter and then by the twelve And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive. Then he was seen by James and later by the apostles. Do you know how much nerve it would take to make this up if all of this is not true? Do you know how crazy you would have to be to be like, let me just pretend that Jesus showed up to 500 people when, you know what, he really stayed dead. We're just all making this up. He says, no, no, wait a second. I know you're not sure, and I know you're not really aware of what this means yet for you, but let me just remind you that some of the people who are still alive here had an encounter with the risen Jesus, who was real and present to them. And Jesus wanted to remind them that death had not held him down in the grave, that death was not the final way that his life and his story would be defined. But he, would be, he was raised from the dead. And so that nobody could just pretend that it was like, I don't know how I feel about that. He's like, let me just go see some of them. What would you do if Jesus ever visited you? Oh. I heard a big, a scary, scary thing. Carmen was like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> Offer him coffee, amen. <laughs> Think about it. Like, we know so many people in the Bible who would see the resurrected Jesus. And they would have similar questions. Some of them are afraid, some of them are not sure. And Jesus will say to them, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's exactly what I told you. I'm here now. Actually, we also have one story in the Bible where we know that people who see Jesus alive still doubt. I kind of feel that maybe I would be in that category. I'd be like, I don't, I don't know, man. Really? Like, do you really have to believe that? Paul is saying this is so central to the story of Christianity. This is what makes Christianity different than every other religion in the world. This is it right here. Easter, every single Sunday. I hope people still are still at my funeral because my sermon's almost done. To hear that those we've said goodbye to are waiting. And we use language of this in the like that they're resting in peace. That they're resting aware that the one who conquered sin and death. He's, he's coming. His reign cannot be stopped. His ways cannot, be, cannot end. He's, he's the ruler of those who are dead and those who are alive. And he, just like the song we sang, I think of a wind of like life brewing and the evil one is like, no, no, we're going to hold them down. And she's like, you can try, but watch this now. Watch this. You tried to hold me down and look what happened now. This is kind of at the heart of the good news of the gospel. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Because if you believe this, then you start to live totally differently. When you believe this, it's easy to say, I'm not afraid of death, of pain, of suffering. I'm not afraid of any of those things. But I'm excited and I'm hopeful. And I want to explain to you something and I want to make it as simple as I can because this kind of sermon becomes like, oh, that was really, really great. But what does it mean? Like, I'll think about it when I'm about to die. Like, when we get there. I'm too young. I don't want to. No, no, let's think about it now. Because Paul's like, I hear that maybe some of you have forgotten why this is so important. Those who believe that Jesus died and was raised from the dead, I'm going to give you three simple things that they have to continue to believe as they wait for Jesus to come back. Three things. Just if you remember these three things, you'll understand why this is so important. The first thing, you can just go to the slide. Because Jesus is alive, he has conquered sin and death. He has. He has. You know what that means? That you and I have no excuses to be children. We have no excuses to not want to live in the freedom that comes from being free of sin and death. Whenever we decide that we're going to live for our own lives and do whatever we want and live in a sinful way, we're saying that the power of the resurrection is not strong enough to heal me of my sin. We're saying that. And we are not those who say that. We are those who believe that because Jesus is alive, Sin might be difficult. Temptation is hard. We make mistakes, but sin and death do not have the final word about who we are. We have been set free. And Paul says this He says, The power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that now is available to you. So live as someone filled with that power. So, sin and death, they, they, they give us a problem sometimes, they're there. We see them, we feel them, but they do not get the final word about who we are and who we are becoming, remember? Because we belong to what? To become like Jesus. So that sin has no control over us. It's like set aside. And we're like, I don't have to live by that anymore. I don't have to be tempted by that anymore. I don't need need to, like, my life doesn't have to be defined by those things anymore. I might struggle with them, but they're not the way I'm going to live now. And then this. If Jesus is really alive and you believe this, you would know this. I know this. I mean, the church would not be here if I didn't believe this. That the living Jesus, before he went to be with the Father, gave his disciples a mission. He said, by the way, because I'm alive, you now are going to go into the world and make disciples of me. This is this great? He's like, I'm not just alive so you can die and go to heaven. For most people, that's all this is. I can't wait till I die and go to heaven. Heaven is not even in the picture. It's the joy and the blessing of that that comes later. Jesus is alive. And the first thing, one of the first things he does, he does a lot of things, but one of the first things he does is he gives his followers homework. He's like, I'm alive. So guess what this means for your life? You're now going to go and tell everybody that I'm alive. You're going to go live like those who really believe that I'm alive. Are you going to do that? Now, I know a lot of people be like, man, that's hard. It's almost better if Jesus just stayed dead. It's like hard to follow this guy. Like, what do you mean? And that's what most people want, right? Most people want a God that is somewhere in the sky. He shows up at Christmas time, helps us in a bad bind, and then leaves us alone to live our own life every other day. That's what they want. I know at times in my life, that's what I wanted of God. Jesus is like, you believed that I died and was raised from the dead and you did nothing with your life to point other people to the hope that they could have when they say yes to me? That's what you did? Can you imagine meeting Jesus one day? And he's like, so what? The, tell me what you did to remind people that I was alive. Ah, about that. That's, hard, that's a hard question. Can I come back in five minutes, Jesus? Like every day when we get up, we get a chance to say, Jesus, today... In a world filled with death and pain and sadness, teach us what it means to be those who go to work in the frustration of traffic, in the upset quotas, in all to be like Jesus is alive. He is alive, and He left us work to do, and we can't wait to be part of that. The last one, I, I had twenty of them, but remember, it's still my funeral. It's got to be tight. I'm like, I'm gonna preach forever. The last one is Jesus is like, because I'm alive, I'm coming back. I am, because he's alive. He's like, I will come back one day, and you will see that everything I said to you will come and will destroy all of the pain and suffering you see. That's why the end of the Bible says to us that when Jesus comes back and his reign is fully there, all the tears from our eyes will be wiped away. And this is so profound, Okay? He plans to come back. Jesus is gonna come back. That we talk about this every time we take communion together. Every time we celebrate communion. If you've never seen us celebrate communion, it's that time in church where we gather, we break bread, we take a cup and we remember the sacrifice and, and what Jesus did. We do this and we read a passage from 1 Corinthians. We actually read a passage from this letter where Paul says, every time you do this, you remember the Lord Jesus until he returns again. We're actually saying, we can't wait. He's going to come back one day. That's why it's shocking to me how people can call themselves Christians and never miss taking communion. They, they're just like, I meet people all the time. I'm like, hey, it's, we're taking communion. This is very sacred. It reminds us that Jesus is alive, right? That's what, Oh it's going to be busy. My football's on, I don't know. Whoa, 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 Next weekend, we're taking communion. See you next weekend. We're going to talk about the resurrection Again. We're going to tell each other again because we will not let the world define our lives by the death pattern of this world. Jesus is alive. And because he's alive, our lives are never going to be the same. Never. They're never the same. Paul is saying this. And he's saying, if you don't believe any of this, if you think, maybe you're here, you're like, this church, that guy is intense. He's crazy. Whatever. This is what Paul says. Paul's like almost already knows. He says this. And if there's no resurrection, here's Paul, not me. It's the Bible, the word of God. Let's feast and drink, for tomorrow we die. Don't be fooled by those who say such things. For bad company corrupts good character. He goes on, for to your shame I say that some of you don't know God at all. He's this profound thing. He's like, if you don't believe that Jesus is alive, you know what you should do with your life? Be the best sinner out there. Go and just live your life for yourself, because it won't matter anyway. You know, sometimes maybe I think of my life where I believe that. I lived for myself. I did what I wanted. I didn't care about anyone else and I definitely didn't feel that I had a responsibility to tell anybody about Jesus. I'm like, who cares? For years, I doubted all of this. And then a moment came in my life where I thought, wait a second. I should maybe look into this just a bit more. That Paul says that Jesus, when he was alive, showed himself to others. And then within a few years, many more people started to say yes to Jesus and follow him. And I'm thinking, wait a second, like if if he's still dead, you got to lie really good for a long time. Within 200 years, the Roman Empire was gone and the church had doubled in size. I'm like, wait a second, we got a problem here. He's supposed to be dead. Like what's happening? Within 300 years, most of the ancient world is Christianized and people are planting churches everywhere. I'm like, the guy's supposed to be dead. How is this still happening? Because maybe Paul was right. Jesus was raised from the dead. Huh? An amen. Maybe one amen. Amen. My goodness, all right. My funeral is going to be so boring. (laughs) I could preach this sermon every single Sunday. Every, every week. You will have to learn to say this to your kids every single day. In your own words, with your own stories, you will have to do this. Because they live in a world that believes that when you die, it's over. We don't know. Too bad. Sucks to be you, man. Death is death, you know. Karma. Karma got them. What are you talking about? I just, I want to lose it. I'm going to invite the band to just come up and we're just going to close and I just think about this all the time because I think this happens to each of us, so I don't want to like fool around. Years ago, I was at a funeral, and I was talking to someone, and I was there just helping and going to read a passage of Scripture. And somebody came up to me, and he said, oh, are you the priest for, for this thing? I said, yeah, yeah. I said, I'm here. He said, you know, I'm not into religion. I'm not into this stuff. I said, oh, that's cool. I, I, you know, I said, do you know the person who passed away? Are you part of the family? They said, yeah, you know, but I don't really, you know, I don't believe that, you know, people, they die, and it's death, and I don't know God. And we started talking about it, and if you've ever been to a funeral, you know that's not a time to have, like, a debate. So you're like, hey, I said, I know, I know. I said, but as Christians, you know, one of the reasons I'm here as Christians, we believe something different. We believe that death is not the end of this. And he said something that I think we all say at some point. He said to me, how do you know? So like, That's such a good thing. How do, how do you know? Because we live in a world that says, if I don't know for sure what happens, I'm going to just believe that nothing happens. So I said, that's a good question. How do I know? I said, we can talk about that. I thought about the sermon. I could tell you a lot of different ways that we kind of know maybe that death is not the end. But then something weird happened. The person was like finishing up and they're walking away and they said, hey, at least they're in a better place what they said. And I said, how do you know? (laughs) It's true. I'm like, now it's on. I said, well, I said, how do you know they're in a better place? You don't know. And I realized in that moment that all of us inside of us, because we're made in the image of God, want to believe that we are in a better place. We want that, but we don't know. We do not know, but Jesus does. Because he's been there. He went to the dead and he came back and he said, you won't know this yet, but I know. And if you belong to me, you can trust that my word counts for something. I do know. You know when somebody says to you that we don't know what happens when people die, you can say you're right, we do not know. But there is one that does know. And maybe we should believe him. Maybe we should consider that he knows something that we don't know and he didn't explain it to us. He didn't give us a book about here's how you defend why I'm alive. He didn't. He said, I'm alive. Now go and live like I'm alive. And live like you're loved by the one that's alive. Go now. and see what happens. It's not enough to just pretend we are in a better place. I hope that works. That's not what we believe. And I have you stand, and I'm going to just read this last passage. Because it's about belonging. And I told you how important it is to understand that you belong to something that's bigger than you and me. But in fact, Paul says, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. And There is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who what? Who belong to Christ will be raised when He comes back. Paul says, I know we don't know, and I know you don't know, and I don't, I don't know. I have still a lot of questions. But you should know one thing. That this world that is beyond this world has an order by how it works. And Jesus is called the first fruits. If you've ever been to a garden, and if you ever get the first fruits of the garden, you taste one, and you can't wait for the one that comes next. This is a great biblical image of life. The first thing you eat is a reflection of all the things that will come next. Paul says, if you want to think about what this looks like, just understand that Jesus is the first fruit of what awaits each of us when we die. He is the first sign of what happens when we will die and wait for his return and be united to him because we belong to him. Does that mean we won't grieve? Does that mean we won't have questions? Does that mean we won't miss those who are gone? Of course not. But it means that at some point, you and I will have to decide who we are going to believe. And you can choose to believe how you feel. You can choose to believe science. You can choose to believe a lot of other things. To be a Christian is to choose to believe that Jesus told us the truth. That's it. And maybe you're here and you're like, I want to believe this Jesus. I want to believe and understand what it means to belong to him. Because I feel something inside of me says to me that, you know what, I want to be in a better place, but I have questions about that. I'm like, I know. That maybe you this morning are at a place where you're ready to maybe say for the first time, I want to begin to live my life according to the way of the one who gives us true life. Or you know somebody who has all kinds of questions about life and death. The Bible talks about this stuff. Does it answer all of your questions? No, it doesn't. It won't. And if that's what you're looking for, you're going to hate the Bible. But it tells us that as we walk with Jesus, he has a peace peace and a hope that reminds us that this world and the death of this world does not get the final word about who we are. It does not. On the third day, our Jesus rose from the grave. Next weekend, we're going to take communion and we're going to say that to each other again and again and again. And that because Jesus is alive, Death has lost its sting. We have work to do, and he's coming back again. That's the truth. Let's just pray before I let you go. Death, where is your sting? Where will you go now that our Jesus is alive? Where? Father, we live in a world gripped by death and fear. This is the same as your earliest disciples felt. And in that broken world, you were raised to life. And you promise us that we can belong in a way that we can live in the hope that death is not the end. This morning as we go, we ask you to be with us as we grieve and think about those that we love those that we care about those who are gone now but for a short time and that we would know that they are resting in peace awaiting the day when you return because we believe you Jesus and we will continue to preach the truth of this gospel And we will continue to live in such a way that we will accomplish your mission that you left us. So as we go now, may we remember that there's new life for those who put their trust in you. That because we belong to you, there's a new sense of joy and peace and hope that we live into knowing that one day, We will be with you in the fullness of your presence. And we will see those that we love and care about. And we will understand many things that we do not understand now. Jesus, as we go, would you be with us? And would you just be with anyone maybe who is listening to this? Who is ready to say yes to the hope that you offer? Who is ready to just commit to this new way of life? that's built on the truth that Jesus was dead but now he's alive Father would you help us to walk with others who have questions about this and thank you for caring for us in our doubts and in our pain may you be glorified now Jesus in how we live and speak and how we act with others in our lives bring us back safely next week as we sit around a table celebrating your sacrifice and that you will come again We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, friends. My funeral's over now. If you need to, watch this again. Preach it yourself. Preach it to yourself. Jesus is alive. Because of that, we're alive. Amen? See you next week.